I've seen CMOs get this wrong, of thinking about them as disconnected. You have brand over here, you have demand over here. They're really kind of intertwined in a way that if your brand marketing isn't creating demand, it's not very good marketing. It's not very good brand marketing. And, and by the same token, if your demand marketing isn't reflecting well on your brand, then, then I don't find that to be particularly helpful, even if it's driving some short-term gains there. So I, I think that that's just one fundamental way that folks can kind of get brand wrong. Hey, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be both your host and bartender today. I just wrapped up a discussion with Palmer Houchins, who is the VP and head of marketing at G2. As SaaS marketers, please tell me people that you know what G2 is and what they do. You should be on it if you're not. But Palmer and I dive into the world of brand. And you'll be able to hear how he defines brand and how he believes you can strike a perfect balance between brand and demand and why they are intertwined and should be for a reason. So if you care to join me for a drink as I speak with Palmer from G2. Hey, Palmer, welcome to SAS Half Full. Hey, Lindsay, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here and also excited because we sent you a cocktail kit and you're joining me for a drink. It makes me really happy. Great. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, what did we send you? What was your choice? I've got the uh, old fashioned. It's nice. great. I'm at the office today. I'm grabbing whatever was in our, our fridge and we have, it's a new type of seltzer that I've never tried, a wild basin hard seltzer. So I will give my review here at the end of the show. I've tried all sorts of different drinks here. I don't want to jump in there, but that that is my favorite, flavor, like my favorite brand of hard seltzer. Really? Yeah, I love it. I literally have never even heard of it. So that makes me happy. Well, it's a blueberry mango. Here we go. Good. I like it. Well, uh, we actually approached you, Palmer, to be sure. on this show. You have been in and around the B2B SaaS world for longer than a year. So wanted to pick your brain on a couple of different things. But as someone who lives in the brand world, um, as a PR agency, we do like to connect with others who believe in the power of brand because we know that it's undeniable. But it has been a wonky last year, two years specifically for brand marketers when budgets get tight and people start to get nervous. But before we dive into that topic, I do want to give our listeners a bit of understanding of who you are. So if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief history on how you got into B2B SaaS, was it by accident? And even in your life as a marketer, did you fall into it or was this intentional? Is this something that you set out to do? I sort of fell into it. I, I studied uh, journalism and history in college and quickly realized, well, not much you can do with a history degree. And I didn't think that I wanted to like grind it out as a journalist. So I sort of fell into, into marketing through the writing skills that you get on the journalism side. I spent the early part of my career in kind of digital marketing in the music and entertainment space, actually, and worked at a digital music startup, an agency, a few other places. And then just very purposely wanted to make the pivot into tech. And thankfully, at the time, a, a company that then was very, I guess, under the radar called called MailChimp was looking for a brand manager that sort of had experience doing music and entertainment work. So I sort of fell into B2B SaaS about 12 years ago by taking that role at MailChimp. And uh, a few stops later, here we are. When you started at MailChimp, did you pretty quickly see the vast differences between B2C 
marketing versus B2B marketing or was, or were you fortunate at MailChimp that they really embraced? Yeah. More of the, more it was of the really the opposite. Style. It was really the opposite at MailChimp. Okay. And part of it was, was just the culture there. The other part of it was they were targeting very small businesses and like, you know, honestly, I think all marketing, certainly B2B marketing is, is human to human, but especially when you're looking at small businesses, you really can adopt some of those B2C tactics and, and they work. So I've tried to use that as a through line, even at other places, other stops of just remembering that the marketing's marketing and we're all talking to humans on the other end of that. And frankly, I think that's some of what B2B marketing has gotten wrong over the years is like, it's got to feel different than what regular or consumer marketing feels like. And I, I just think that that's a little bit of a misnomer and a myth. I completely agree on this beta boring, beta bland. Uh, exactly. Yes, there are people on the other end of it. There has been a marked shift that even I've seen over the last five years on how B2B marketers are approaching it and really thinking more like consumer brands, which has been good to see. So brand is something that we've talked about on this show a number of different ways. And we certainly have talked about the other side. We've talked about demand generation tactics. We've talked about ABM, all of it. It's been a minute since we revisited brand and I it's overdue just based on where we are now, where the SaaS landscape is. I feel deeply for SaaS founders right now. Just they've been really dealt a shit sandwich here over the last about like, you know, year plus. Yep. So I feel, I feel for them, but it also has had very far reaching impacts on marketing and specifically as it relates to brand spend, something that traditionally doesn't drive direct ROI, isn't short term. So I definitely want to dive into that today and just how you've been able to keep your role within brand to tie it to demand gen and the impact that it has on the other marketing functions. But let's start way, 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 way back and yeah. make sure that we're all speaking the same language is how do you define brand? I define brand really as it's your reputation. It's the sum of all of the touch points that you have with customers and prospects. And so that may be a little bit more far reaching than some people do it, but I think that's a way that you can get an entire company sort of invested in brand. It doesn't matter whether it's that sort of interaction that, that an engineer is kind of creating on the site or an actual customer success or, or customer support person who's talking about customer, they all go tie into brand along with the sort of visual identity, visual design, the stuff that we, I think traditionally think of as brand. All those pieces kind of wrap in together to, to become what your brand is to me. And I love the simplicity of the answer that brand is your reputation. And it's why it is just so mind boggling to me that brand still gets the ax and brand still gets questioned in such a way of like, well, what's the value if not an ROI driver? Mm -hmm. Because without your reputation, what do you have? And, you know, furthermore, on the perception side of the house, perception is reality. So it, it really is a head scratcher to me that this continues to be a discussion. Now, I understand, especially in the current macroeconomic environment, that there does need to be an emphasis on the short-term gains. Yeah. Get it, right? I mean, I'm not, not living in a bubble and don't understand that. But it is very interesting to me that if brand is your reputation, that there is still justification happening around brand spend. Over your career, what have you seen most founders get wrong about brand and how have you been able to challenge or change that thinking? I think one just fundamental piece that, that it's not just founders, it's anyone. I've seen CMOs get this wrong of thinking about them 
as disconnected. You have brand over here, you have demand over here. They're really kind of intertwined in a way that if your brand marketing isn't creating demand, it's not very good marketing. It's not very good brand marketing. And, and by the same token, if your demand marketing isn't reflecting well on your brand, then then I don't find that to be particularly helpful, even if it's driving some short-term gains there. So I, I think that that's just one fundamental way that folks can kind of get brand wrong. But I also think folks can kind of get into that um, you know, posture. And there's what I would define as kind of a sweet spot with brand. Again, we all want to be mindful of budgets and and certainly there's been a, a shift to efficiency over growth. And, and I think mm-hmm. every brand marketer will recognize that and acknowledge that. And so you can still say your brand is really important and we need to be investing in it without advocating for, we've got to be running multi-million dollar, like big agency campaigns. Like there's a sweet spot in between that where you can push things forward. And frankly, there's a lot of low cost things that you can do to help grow your brand, especially when you think about it as sort of like a, a holistic piece of your marketing, your marketing strategy there. And so I think that's just something that the best founders, they recognize that they, they invest in that and they grow it. And I think you can kind of see that through who some of the successful companies are. You sort of know the founders because they've recognized that piece of it. Yeah. Uh, and you previously held the role of VP of brand marketing communications at G2. Yeah. Now you are head of marketing at G2. Mm-hmm. Typically I do this whole thing of like, what is G2 and what is your company? If you are listening to SaaS Powerful <laughs> and don't know what G2 is, I you've just come to the wrong place. I, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I do. I would be remiss to not not have you have the opportunity, Palmer, because I'm about to ask about G2 specifically of what does G2 do? Yeah. So G2 is the uh, world's largest and most trusted uh, B2B software marketplace. And we essentially connect B2B software vendors to B2B software buyers. And we see about 80 million software buyers come to the site globally each year. And we've got 100,000 plus software vendors listed on the site who are eager to connect with those folks. And so a lot of what we offer solutions to, to make that connection happen, to build your brand in a lot of ways, to build that reputation, to use that customer voice to build it up. But that being said, for the purposes of our conversation today, even what we do from a brand marketing perspective at G2 is very different than what I did at MailChimp or what I did at CallRail, just by the nature of there's so many software buyers and vendors already on our site. We want to think very specifically about how to create those connections and how to keep growing that audience. And we love G2. And just so everyone knows too, that there are service provider reviews yes. on G2. Yes. Um, you're, not I, something competitors of yours offer. And we are going to be carry. growing that services offering love this it. year. So that's very exciting for, I think, a lot of service implementers and agencies. Love it. So I want to contain this question to G2, because you mentioned there are, very, there are some low cost ways to grow your brand. At G2, what tactics fall under brand? What falls under that budget? Who are the people involved? What does that look like? Yeah. And and I would say, I mean, every company is different for us. Our brand marketing and comms team encompasses what you think of traditionally as brands. So we've got designers, front-end developers, creative director, a copywriter, project manager, who are creating a lot of the assets, the pieces of what becomes that like uh, visual or sort of verbal piece of, of your brand. We also have our PR and comms function within brand. We have our social media function within brand. Not to say that we don't also use it for demand, but a lot of the organic and sort of reach that we want to get from social is, is living there. And then lastly, we have our events function. So anything from big trade shows to our internal events to we do a, 
Uh, we have a very unique event offering uh, that, that's essentially a review booth that we bring out to our customers' events so they can go drive reviews on site there. So that's what we would say is brand marketing comms. But in many other companies, customer marketing, which is a, a big line of what we do at G2, would fall under brand. And certainly we're big believers in, in customer-led growth and customer-led ways that you can build your brand. And so we're always advocating for folks to elevate customer marketing to something that can help drive revenue. And so that's why it sits within our revenue marketing function here at G2. I was surprised to hear you say that events yeah. are under brand. That's uh, also not always the case, yeah. but so interesting that lives under there. So Palmer, we're on the same page. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> but why is there still a brand versus demand discussion happening today if brand is your reputation? Why are these working against each other? In not every case, but in many cases. Yeah, I, I just think it's the siloed thinking of where as humans, we want to categorize things. We want to group things together. And we're like, okay, this is demand. And this is going to have a hard, you know, sort of ROI on it. And we can, we can go spend those dollars and see what we get out from them. Whereas sometimes with brand, it can, it can be harder to do that. I'll be the first to acknowledge it can be the, it can be harder to do that dollar for dollar ROI. But what I've found, you know, throughout my, my career in SaaS, at least is that you can see a very, I guess, demonstrable effect when you start pulling dollars from brand or even let's not even call it dollars. Let's just call it resources, time, energy away from that. I can think back to a time at, at MailChimp specifically where we ran a lot of tests around this, where we would we, we would frankly see something like paid search being super efficient and cost effective for us. And we'd say, let's double down there. Let's get some more of those conversions, those paid customers coming in. And we do that and you'd see a temporary blip and like, great, we're going to, you know, exceed our goal. And then you let it play out for a, a few weeks. And eventually that demand just kind of slows to a trickle because we weren't investing in sort of the top of the funnel. And I, I think to me, that was just a big realization of it's not, it's not about brand or demand. It's about creating that symmetry. And it looks different for every company of like, what's the right investment focus, like across all of those funnel segments. And it takes some trial and error to get there. But I think if you just approach it from, oh, well, demand is where we're really like, we've, we, our pipeline's down or we've got to get more leads to our sales team. We're just going to invest there. That may be a short-term strategy, but long-term sure. it's going to put everyone kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I could not agree more with that assessment and it's not something you can turn on and off. And even as you distill that down, I mean, us from a PR standpoint is the same thing. It's like, you, you can't just turn it on for when you need it and turn it off. It all compounds, right? And all, it all works together. There is this still just age old perception problem of brand just being this soft, you know, soft right. spend. I do feel like there's more, more high level marketers though, who understand what you said, which is they, it's really hard to attribute direct ROI to call it 20% of your mm -hmm. spend. But you do know that if you stop and turn that off, that everything else suffers. Now, I could make the argument that people should just stop freaking trying to measure brand and just accept the fact that this is the budget I spend on it. And I know I have to keep doing it because it's my reputation. I could say just people stop trying to measure brand, but it's not realistic. And you have thoughts around measuring brand. I want to know from you just over your career, how you've been able to show that impact that brand is having on demand if you've developed any specific frameworks, anything that is your own, you've been able to take from company to company, 
because you did say earlier in this conversation that brand should be creating demand. So you yep. have to be able to show that somehow. Thoughts yep. around that? A couple different things come to mind there. I, I wish I could say I found the silver bullet and I've taken it everywhere and figured it sure. out. I've, what I've found is every company is a little bit different and and you have to sort of adjust that approach. I, I do always try to kind of approach it from that, that high level funnel view of where it's like, we've got to make sure we're in balance here. If we're just doing low level, bottom of the funnel demand tactics, that's not going to work long-term. By the same token, it doesn't mean we just need to go out and do a bunch of big billboard campaigns. Right. That that probably isn't going to work either. So it's about striking that balance. So where I've seen that in terms of measuring brand, the, the two areas that I feel like I've had the most success are just with simple aided, unaided awareness of if you can see that metric growing over time, you're generally doing something right from a brand perspective. That's going to have a downstream effect now that can be costly. It doesn't necessarily need like a giant market research firm to go run that. But if you're doing some nimble surveys, uh, awareness testing there, I think you can get some good insights from that. And then I've just found success, especially when you're talking about not big dollars, but spending some budget brand lift studies, especially some of the ones that you can run through through the vendors on YouTube, through Google, through Facebook, through Instagram. Those ha have typically shown good results and can frankly help you maybe not get that North Star brand perspective, but at least get a channel perspective of this is working for us. This isn't, we should double down here and help inform that. So it's less about finding that one, for me, that one framework that's going to work everywhere and more about being sort of nimble and taking a temperature in a bunch of different places and, and trying to add that up to a recipe that works. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that unaided awareness because my first thing went to like big, you know, big market research, but you said it doesn't have to be that. Who's doing the surveying and who are you surveying? We're in the process of testing this out right now. So you can use, and, and we do this for some of our own market research team does this, not the same sort of awareness piece of it, but just doing, finding the right audience and surveying them. So Alchemer used to be called Survey Gizmo, um, Survey Monkey. I guess it might be called Momentive now. They'll both allow you to do some some pretty good brand tracking where you can just essentially pick the ideal audience and, and figure out, hey, do these folks fit from a demographic perspective, from a graphic, technographic, whatever you're, you're looking to hit there, run it through them. And you can essentially determine what the budget is. You want to get to a, st a statistically significant sample sure. size there. But at the same time, it's not like, you know, what I've seen in other places, I've got to have $100,000 and go, go hire, you know, a giant market research firm to be able to do this. It can be done a lot more cost effective and quicker than that. You may not get the same level of granularity, but you can get that directional sort of piece of like, are we trending in the right direction? And that to me is what I find important when you're looking at brand. And for people who have not run one of these before, but now they're listening, thinking mm -hmm. that's a great idea. What questions are you asking? Is it a question? Yeah. I mean, we're still figuring out what's going to work for us. So I hesitate to say this is the right question here. You want to have that goal in mind of, of, what do we want to be known for? Of like just right. the unaided awareness of our folks, can they pull G2 out of a hat and say whether it, they're looking at a, a review site or even just a B2B marketing resource? Mm -hmm. That aided awareness, it's more about how are we doing against our competitors? Like sure. what folks think of us there. So that th those are sort of the two pieces for me. And that aligns then to, frankly, when you get sort of the aided awareness, you can start looking at things like share voice and other areas that you might have some metrics on to figure out how are we doing from a competitive standpoint. So what happens in a situation where you do a unaided awareness survey and you're trending in the right direction 
I don't know if you're doing this, maybe let's just say at the end of the year, you benchmark it and then do it at the end yeah. of the year. And then your CMO or CEO says super Palmer, but it's had no impact on pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, listen, that conversation, if, if you've been anywhere near marketing for the uh, SaaS marketing for the past year, you're going to see that whatever you are doing from a marketing perspective may have not had the right effect on pipeline. So it's about di diagnosing that. Frankly, over the past year, we've been able to grow our pipeline quite a bit, but we did see conversion rates go down. And so that's where then you can start going, well, what's happening in our conversion process where we could kind of get better there. So again, I position it less as this is the end all be all and more of a diagnostic to figure out, okay, well, it's not our brand that's hurting here. Like that's growing. We've got to figure out, are we losing more deals here? Are we not growing as effectively in this segment as we should and start diagnosing that way. And, and that makes it more of a team sport than a one individual responsibility from either a sales marketing perspective or a demand versus brand marketing perspective. And you, you've been on a lot of podcasts before. This is certainly not your first rodeo. In those, you have mentioned a brand dashboard. Can you yeah. unpack that for us? Yeah. I mean, a, a brand dashboard can be different depending on, on what sort of metrics you have at your disposal and, and I guess what's important to you. And so for us at G2, we like, we ascribe to sort of the V2 mom framework so that, that Salesforce sort of originated and, and we have a sort of a brand V2 mom, like what are the actual brand metrics that, that matter and starts with that aided unaided awareness. But then we also look at things like what's our overall traffic to the website, to the marketing website. What sort of PR metrics are we seeing, whether that be just media impressions, mentions, interviews, share of voice, all of those things sort of to, to boil up. And even down to like social media, are we growing our followers? Are we seeing engagement? And that to me can like ladder into a very easy to, frankly, easy to build and easy for anyone to understand dashboard that we, we look at quarterly. Okay. And you can't answer G2, this question. Sure. Asking. But- when you think about SaaS brands that are currently winning the brand game right now, who comes to mind and specifically why, what are they doing that you're seeing? That's a great question. And I would say I, I was very influenced by like, let's call it the first generation of SaaS companies. So yeah. like, you know, I had the, I guess the, the good luck of being at MailChimp. And so I, that was one of them that I think had a great brand effect, certainly informed a lot of how I think about brand, but also, you know, alongside us, I think Slack. Zendesk, these are other companies that that were really doing, in my mind, very impactful brand work and, and still think about those and learn for some of the leaders who were there at the time. But in terms of like what I find interesting today, there's a couple different ways of looking at it. I, I think one of them is to look at like really competitive categories and right. see what folks are doing to differentiate themselves. And so one of them that comes to mind is, is project management. You've got Monday.com, you've got ClickUp, you've got Asana. Very, very competitive. And I think they all look to brand as sort of uh, a competitive advantage that they could have. And they're all doing really interesting brand work because of that. And then another sort of another takeaway I've had on the brand side is it's not really about like big or small. And I think about this, I sat in a presentation from one of the heads of marketing at Salesforce who was talking about how Mark Benioff had challenged them to be in like the inner brand top 50 brands and how they put together that whole structure and, and got there. It's fascinating. But then I also look at a company like Basecamp that doesn't want to be any bigger than 100 people. 
that's done a really great job of growing their brand. And so it really shows there's a lot of different paths to get to that, like yeah. impact that, that big, you know, brand resonance. And then I think the last thing that, that I would say on that, that I found interesting, that's certainly different than say 10 years ago in SaaS is just the focus on content and how a lot of SaaS companies are even acting like publishers now with acquisitions, with, you know, HubSpot bringing on the hustle and a few other things like that. I find that really interesting. And I think that may be like sort of the next generation of where brand marketing's headed. Yeah. And we even saw probably about three years ago, well, it was before COVID. So a little bit longer than that is we, we started treating a lot of these software blogs like media yeah. So we were pitching our clients to contribute on the Drift blog, on the HubSpot blog. Yeah. And now that's being like taken a step further. What advice would you have, Palmer, for marketing leaders and specifically brand marketing leaders who enter a new company? What advice would you have for them on those first meetings? So as you're meeting with your CMO, the CEO, to really table set what to expect from brand? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's sort of a two or three part process. The first is sort of understanding what are the the expectations and what's the history there and what do you want to do differently in the future? And to me, that's something that hopefully you're able to vet a lot of this out before you actually take the job. Because if you're coming in to do brand marketing and you find uh, a leadership team, whether it's executive or marketing leader, so that doesn't really care about brand, then like it might be a, yeah, a top slot. That's no good. But for us, like I, I was, you know, joining G2, I, I, there wasn't necessarily a specific brand marketing function that I was inheriting. So a lot of it was sort of a, was building, was working with Amanda, who was our CMO at the time to sort of align on like, where do we think we can make the most impact out of the gate? And frankly, What's unique and with G2, there's a, there's a lot of these, but like what's what's unique about G2 from a brand perspective that we can lean into? And for us, it was some of our data. It was sort of like the, the ecosystem that we've already got built there. And so I think working closely with leadership to identify what's going to be different about our brand or what leg do we have to stand on here? And that, that's going to be different than, than say competitors in this space or even other SaaS companies. Yeah. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about founder brand. Yeah. There are some companies whose brand is the founder that they, they do not associate the company without thinking of the founder. What are the benefits and drawbacks of building your brand around a person? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, you've got to have a founder who's bought in to that philosophy and wants to sort of embody that in whatever way. And I think one of the sort of misperceptions there is that it doesn't mean that like you've got to be this founder that's like out speaking all the time sure. and doing media and press. And I, I think back to my early days at MailChimp and Ben Chestnut, who's MailChimp CEO and co-founder, didn't really love public speaking. Didn't he, He's done some media since then, but early on he didn't do it. But he was an ex, still is an excellent writer, both internally and externally. And early days, he was writing on our blog like every other day. And that was sort of the way it wasn't necessarily making it about him, the founder, but it was the founder talking about the company and about sure. the product that just becomes sort of evangelism of its own. It was it was very resonant that way. But, I, you know, I've, I've seen both sides of this. I've seen some founders who just say, you know what, this is that's not me. I'm more of a sure. I'm more of a technical founder. I'm more of a behind the scenes person. I don't want to do that. But I think when it's done right, it can be really effective. Frankly, I think when it's done right, it's less about the founder, more about the brand. If that makes sense, it's like mm -hmm. the founder is an avenue to the brand. But I, I also like caution 
from like the excesses of it over if like you've got a CEO or a co-founder who's just out speaking or doing press most of the time and not actually being the CEO or leading the company, that's a problem too. So it's about finding that sort of sweet spot there and leaning in to whatever you feel from a founder perspective, your like your communication style or superpower is. Yeah. I recently talked to a partner to VC about founder brand and yeah. one of the potential I guess downsides that they pointed out is, that they look at and examine is especially if they're if it's an earlier round and they're you know maybe it's a series A round mm-hmm. is are the customers tied to the founder and what's going to happen if if the business has been built around the founder and or if the business gets acquired or um, they step down how does that affect the brand itself does the brand disappear if the founder is no longer in the picture which does happen from time to time. But by and large, the VCs that I talked to, they did look at sort of that founder. The founder brand wouldn't be the right word for them, but there's there was really more on the type of founder. You mentioned a technical founder versus more of that business entrepreneur founder. And what they really look for is, is founders who are coachable. That was the number one thing that they yeah. said. So who was willing to, to know that they don't know everything <laughs> and willing to think differently and take advice, which makes sense in that scenario. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think that's a really smart. And frankly, I think what that gets back to is early stage companies, especially if you're talking like seed, series A, series B, it's tough to differentiate yourself. And I I do think that founder brand is one way to do that. But fair point down the road, you may jeopardize some of that brand affinity if you've got that that face of, of the company who, for whatever reason, wants to go to the next thing or there's changes that are made. So I think that's good to just think through. And I think a lot of the best founders sort of know what that path is and can can kind of choose it for themselves. Sure. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk with you about is just current. I say current. I mean, gosh, I, current, I would say, nor like, oh, in the last year, but then yeah. everything now, so the last six months, no, really just the last three weeks. Uh, everything <laughs> is changing so quickly, especially in the technology sphere. But there, there definitely was a knee-jerk reaction towards the end of last year. We read a lot about... Mm-hmm. Um, VCs recommending to their portfolio companies that they cut revenue generating teams, so both people and budget. And there was a study that came out that really shed light on the fact that companies who did that really were no more profitable than the ones who kept business as usual. So I, I just am curious your opinion or your reaction to marketing and revenue generating functions being the first thing that's looked at when budgets get tight. I think we're living in just a like a different paradigm over the past year than certainly the year before that. And what I would say is I I would take offense at folks who are just, or would kind of point a finger at folks who are saying, we're going to cut 50% of marketing, but we're going to leave the rest of the company as is, especially if there's other changes that need to be made. I think the smarter decision is just sort of looking at as valuation has gone from growth at all costs to like efficiency. There are companies out there that were just they thought 2021 was what, like the new normal. And I think we've quickly realized it. There's sort of been a regression back to the mean. At the same time, you had some companies that were just way up in front of their skis there and needed to to make some cutbacks just from a burn perspective. And I think as tough as that is, it's probably the right decision for, for a lot of those companies for just their long-term sustainability. 
and again, it just goes back to, I think you do that and you prescribe it equally throughout the organization or equally to where those big investments have made. If you're just saying, I, can't, I don't see the ROI on marketing, so we're going we're gonna to cut 20 people for marketing and leave the rest of the organization same, I think that's pretty short-sighted. And you'll probably see those folks like lose market share, see slower growth. But it's been a sort of eye-opening time for, for a lot of folks as, as they kind of make that shift from what used to be valuable, this growth mindset and growth at all costs to, hey, we need to run this business profitably and efficiently. And really moving forward, I think the folks who who will be able to succeed are able to run efficiently, but know how to like conduct the symphony of, of how the revenue generating side of the business needs to be run. And so you've got that sort of equal part harmony of, of hey, we've got sales, we've got marketing, we've got all these pieces kind of coming together. Even if we're having to do it with fewer people than we were before, our goal is going to make that come together in the right way. It's back to the word balance that you use. Yeah, exactly. Is, is exactly. Balance. Uh, well, I could talk about brand all day. It's, it's my home. It's where I live. But data shows that people only want to listen to you and I talk for about 25 minutes on a podcast. There you go. They're tuning out. Well, as I end every episode, I always ask our guest if they have a favorite toast or signature toast to send us out. Um, man, I wish I, I, I feel like I'm slacking there. I don't really have one other than just give you a nice cheers. and uh, Cheers. And here's the spring. That works for me. There you Cheers. go. Yes, spring on spring. I love it. Thanks to Palmer for joining me on SAS Half Full. I love that conversation. Literally, I could talk about brand all day long. And for those listeners who make it all the way to the end of this episode, I have a little segment that I call One More Drink, where I'm asking all of our guests the same question at the very end, which is, Palmer, what do you wish more CEOs understood about marketing? That's a, that is a great question. And I, I think that uh, I'm going to go back to something we talked about in that conversation that I, what we were just mentioning, that, that marketing is it's a balance. It's about a harmony. It's about creating all of these pieces, whether it's brand demand, customer marketing, content marketing, all these pieces have to come together in the right way. And it can be very, very specific and very individual to your business, but you've got to figure out what that harmony is. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. And until next time, bottoms up. <laughs>